Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due. Welcome to another episode of We're Talking Tonight. Craig Malosaw and Chris Lano. Chris is the play-by-play man sitting in this year, but previously play-by-play man for the Raging Cajuns, former Cajun player, former, well, former everything, I think. What are you doing now, Chris? I'm sorry. All world. All world. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's been really a roller coaster in the last year or so. Um, was working in the oil field in Houston, uh, did that for 10 years, and then I did a little project engineering um for a salvage company where I spent most of my time in Mobile, Alabama. So it's going to be a little bit of a homecoming for me this weekend. And now I am doing more engineer technology for a uh, HVAC company um, in, in uh, mid city, New Orleans. So, so I'm finally settled. Um, I thought my transition from my first job out of college that I worked for 10 years in, in Houston, I thought that transition into the engineer position that I took for uh, the salvage company was going to be long-term, but I realized after a few months, it was not a good fit, yeah. but ultimately no hard feelings. It, I think, it, I believe it, it was an all, it was all in God's plan because it was a good bridge to what I'm doing now. And I see what I'm doing now is something that I want to do uh, until one day when I retire and uh, I'm very happy where I am. Um, I don't have as much flexibility as I used to, but, um, I think logistically it works out well. I'm finally back home with my family and, um, you know, there's, there's nothing that beats home where I grew up. So, and it's good to be back in the boot where I, I guess just, you know, where, you know, where, where all my roots are. And uh, it's nice. It's nice. Um, It's a good centralized location uh, here out in in New Orleans uh, for when I want to do things out in Mississippi, when I want to go hunt north in Alabama, or just want to head back a little bit west on I-10 or 90 to you guys in Lafayette. So I I like it. I I like the move so far. I I believe God God has a plan for everybody, Chris. And there there was a job I was I'd applied for and was. I would have stayed in Indianapolis, but I would have been working out of a Wisconsin office. And the guy kept telling me he's too busy to interview me, too busy, too busy to interview me. And it went on and on. And I had a job. It wasn't like I was needed another job. And then my current boss called me and said, hey, you still looking to come back to Lafayette? I said, heck, yeah. So when I had to tell the people in Wisconsin that I wasn't going to take the job, they're going like, well, we're about to offer it to you. I said, well, you never interviewed me. So. God has a plan. And there was a reason I didn't get that job because I would not have taken it and then quit to take another job in, in all likelihood. So, but well, there you go. Well, we're lucky to have you in Lafayette, Craig. I well, must say I, that. I appreciate that, man. I miss you tremendously. I miss all the guys on the radio crew. It, it's something that uh, we've all come to enjoy and, and like, and I think we've uh, everybody there from you, whether it's Gerald, whether it's Richie, uh, Jay, Cody, and I said Jay, but even Jay, I should say. So, and you know, not not, not to get all kumbaya, yeah. but 
but seriously though, I, I played ball at Louisiana for four years and you create a brotherhood there. You create a camaraderie of people that you keep in touch with. I really felt like for years we had a small little brotherhood w- within us traveling together every weekend. It was, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to carry that with me for many years to come. And I, you know, I, I think it's better for the radio when you have somebody in there on a consistent basis. I think this year has been a lot of turmoil with uh, expecting uh, old coach Daryl Broussard to sit in permanently, but uh, you know, he he had the issue with his uh, uh, with, you know, physically and he's still recovering from that. And I think going forward, you know, it's best to have him long-term and uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I like to fill in from time to time. It's a lot of fun. I look forward to it. I enjoy it. Um, most of all, I just like the um, the bullshit between us yeah. the night before and even the mornings of. It, it's it's a lot of fun. It really is. Well, you know, I, I think the Cajuns are really lucky, and and I'm not trying to suck up to you or Richie, but I think the Cajuns are very lucky to have two guys that have done it before that can sit in and, and not miss a beat. Quite honestly, uh, I don't think you have that all over the country. So. Yeah, and you know, I must say it was it, I was impressed listening to Richie a couple of weeks ago. Not that I had any doubts, but for him to be called on that day, uh, or it was, I want to say it was the day before. No, I take it back. We played on a Thursday and then I gave notice to Jay on that yeah. Thursday morning that I was not going to make it. So Richie did not have any time, any preparation uh, whatsoever. Uh, no knowledge of the opposition just in a few hours. And he, it's almost like listening to him on the radio. He was very pristine, very crips. Chris and just he was just uh, on point and it, it, you could tell he's been there before he's done it before and yeah that is, that is a luxury to have when you have a guy like him that could just step in at any moment all right so we're done kissy kissy face here now yeah, so let's, let's yeah, talk yeah. some football bro brother I do miss you though but let's talk some football I know the one game that we want to talk about in the Sunbelt Conference I think that that uh, you mentioned was the App State and the Georgia State to me App State comes off a very emotional win but at the same time, they got 10 days to prepare. And Georgia State's got a very emotional loss that they have to go home to in only seven days to prepare. What are you seeing there in that game? Talk to me here. Well, first of all, I watched that entire – well, I say that in, of entirety. I, I, I watched the majority of that Georgia State game. I did. Uh, I, I could not take my eyes off of it. And it was before the UL game, so I didn't have to go back and forth. And um, I, I must say – that was a heartbreaker for Georgia state considering what happened at the end. Yes. Uh, and for those who are not aware, uh, Auburn got the football uh, on their last gas. It, although it was a first down, they were, they were racing against the clock at that time with only 30 something seconds left in regulation. And they needed a touchdown and Finley throws a ball down the field in the middle of the, in the middle of the hash marks. Uh, just right down the middle of the field, it completes it for 15 yards. And that was crucial. If you don't complete that play, uh, things just at an exponential rate get tougher to, uh, to go down and win the football game. So what happened, they called the completion on the field. But when they reviewed the play, it was as clear as day it had hit the ground. Thank and you. I'm, I'm watching the game. And not only you hear the commentators talking about, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to definitely move this ball back, uh, hit the ground. Yeah. And there's, there's clear video evidence of it. And you can see the dismay. They show the fans. They show the student section. And you can see that they're all looking up at the video, uh, Tron, and, and they see it themselves. 
And not only that, but the referee starts to pick up the ball and move it back to the original line of scrimmage. And all of a sudden, the judge who had the microphone on and was reviewing it with the man upstairs, he comes out of the huddle and then he announces that the play was upheld. And immediately the camera went to the student section in Auburn and you can read the man's lips. Oh, my God. And they knew they got away with one. And you heard Coach Elliott say post game, you know, when you play in the SEC, you got to fight battles such as this. And it, that, that, I just thought Georgia State got hosed, and I, that's important because that can yeah. hang on. That can hang on you for an entire week going against a team. You got to get yourself back up against a, the likes of an Appalachian State. Now, focusing on that football game, I'm also watching App State. I believe that was the Thursday before uh, they had played Marshall. And that's not the App State team that I remember. You don't, they don't have the pass rushers that they've had in years past that can get around the edge. They don't have the speed that I can see that I usually see uh, along the defensive side of the football. They don't have the fast linebackers that get into the backfield and create havoc on a quarterback. It, it, to me, it's a different type of Appalachian State football team. And it's almost like they, they like to throw the football. Yeah. But occasionally, if they can break off just one or two runs in a like if they can get a couple runs off in a row where they really try to get you on offense is the play action. They try to get you with the play action and make a big play out of that. And that's who App State has become. That's the kind of offense they like to run. And I, I see the, the way you beat Appalachia State. My buddies and I were talking about this while watching App. You, you got to run right at him. You have to go inside zone right at Appalachia State. You can't go with the stretch zone reads, you know, when, when you have the offensive lineman moving laterally down the line of scrimmage. That's where App tries to beat you. At least in years past, that's where they that's the kind of game they like to play on defense. So and that's the kind of offense that Georgia State where they were hammering Auburn was the inside zone play. Auburn could not stop it. I see a good matchup. Um I, I see both teams pretty uh, well matched co- coming into this game. Um, I believe it's at Kid Brewer, if I'm not mistaken, or uh, is it in is, is it in Atlanta? It's in Atlanta. It's in Atlanta. Okay, so that, that's a big break for for Georgia State. They get to stay home this week, right. in front of their fans, and um, you know, I, 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 Auburn's I, I, a two hour bus ride away, so it's not like they had to travel across country either. Right, right, exactly, exactly. But I tell you what, though, you almost rather fly than have to travel on bus. But yeah, anyways, uh, and we'll, and we'll get story. into that. We'll get into that um, because that that's that's something that the Louisiana's going to have to face this weekend. But I see a close matchup. Uh, I don't even know what the point spread is. I couldn't tell you. I'm sure Appalachian State is favored. I would not be surprised if they're favored by double digits because. You know, it's 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 a public driven game when it comes to gambling. It's all about what the public sees. And uh, but honestly, if it isn't double digits, I I like Georgia State to cover. I mean, I think they have a real shot at winning this game. Georgia State is one of those teams. I feel like they're still on the rise. You know, they had a heartbreaker last week, but I think Coach Elliott has done some good things. And I think they're going to continue to trend upwards. Well, I think the spread is what I heard was 14 and a half for App State. So, I, but I'm not, okay. I'm not positive of that. But, uh, that, uh, that, that. That can make sense. That can but, make sense. But going back to the, 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 the questionable play, here is where I, here's what I don't like. And I think Major League Baseball has it right. Major League Baseball goes over, their umpires put on a headset, and they are told what has happened. They don't 
I don't like the fact that in the NFL and college football, those umpire, those referees are going to look at the play. They should have nothing involved in that because they're yeah. not going to make an objective decision there, oh, no. especially on a screen that's nine inches wide. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it's one of those, it's one of those things. And I'm not a conspiracy, I'm not, I'm not a no. conspiracy theorist no, guy. Know. I'm not, but you have to wonder, you know, it well, who kind shot of Kennedy? Well, it I'm joking. You, it, <laughs> Who you think shot Kennedy? I think it was Oswald and Oswald alone, quite honestly. So he was a Pepsi? No, I think he shot him. I know, but you think you think he was a Pepsi though? You think he was working alone? No, uh, that not necessarily, but I don't think there was anybody in the grassy knoll or anywhere else shooting. I think Oswald got all three shots off. I've I've seen enough. Uh, uh, Mike Baker, former CIA agent, did a, a nice show on this. I think there's enough evidence there, and he showed the evidence on the uh, the bullet that bounced off of Kennedy into Conley and, and through Conley's wrist, showed how that is actually happening with a real ballistic dummies and everything. So uh, to me, yes, I, 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 do, I, do, I, do I think the CIA or the mob? That's a whole different story. I think there was only one shooter. Now, I know we're going off on a tangent, but really yep. quick. Now, Ruby, the bar owner who shot Lee, Har's, Lee Harvey when he was being escorted out. Yep. You don't, so you don't think there was any connection. He just kind of worked maybe. No, uh, I think there was on a on connection there with somebody. I think, I, I think Ruby was somehow paid to do it. But from who, I don't know. Was it the mob? Was it the CIA? There's a whole different thing there. Now you and I can get you and I on another day can get an entire into an entire. I've read an entire book on JFK along with Lyndon Johnson, and we we can get into an entire discussion about this. uh, I was born over a few drinks. I was born a month and a day after the assassination, so it's always been a fascination to me with 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 Kennedy and with everything. Watch on Hulu. It's called uh, it's it's eleven twenty two sixty three. And I know it sounds a little funky, but it's a guy that goes back in time to try to change the uh, Kennedy assassination. Oh, excuse me. Got the hiccups or the bourbon hiccups. Tries to change the uh, Kennedy assassination. So, well, last Again. question. Last question. We'll get yep. back to football. But have you ever visited the, the book depository? Oh, I, I know. I know. I know. It's it's an old building now. It's uh, it's 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 no longer. But have you ever toured it? Oh yes. Okay. Three times. I mean, it's 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 a six four it's a six four museum now. You can go through with uh, different yeah. different tours. No, I, so I, have I. Yeah. So have I. Yes. No, it's yes. the most amazing thing, and uh, like I said, it, it's it's it, it, it to me because of when I was born, it's very touching to my life. Uh, I'm not saying Kennedy was the greatest thing since sliced bread or anything like that, but it it it, it touches me uh, the way a lot of music touches me. Now, 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 given like the historic aura that you feel when you visit something like that, uh, the book depository, I will have to say that um, I, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. But in That's San it. Francisco, um, oh, Alcatraz, you, Alcatraz is number one and in, in the book depository is number two in terms of just the entire of the historic, the, the historic aura that you feel when you walk uh, within the walls of something of, uh, of that nature. But anyways, uh, well, that, that, that was, that was good though. No, but I agree with you on that. But at the same time, I've been to Alcatraz, I've been to the book, but at the same time, you got to understand that I've been to Europe. 
I, yep. I lived six yep. years in Germany. So that yep. I, I played football at Soldier Field in Nuremberg where the Nuremberg rallies were, were, were done. Mm -hmm. I've been to okay. the Eagle's Nest. I've been to Birch's Garden. I've been to uh, uh, Normandy and all. So those things and being a military brat, those things somewhat mean a lot more to me. But at the same time, I go back to the Kennedy assassination because of when I was born and all that, that fascinates right. me. And my dad, told us, my dad told the story that he was, they, they, about how he found out about it. So it, 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 it's, it, we can do, definitely, we need to do another one on that because I think it's very fascinating to me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And Jack Ruby. I couldn't think of his oh. first name, but that's who it was. Jack Ruby. Yeah. But anyways, okay. So back to the Cajuns. Yeah, I know before, we, we were, before we get to the Cajuns, quickly about, and only because we just played Georgia Southern, but Arkansas State at Georgia Southern. Arkansas State came off of, a, you know, the Tulsa game that they had opportunities, but they let Tulsa run away with it early on. Georgia Southern fires a coach. Our friend Kevin Foote brings up the thing, you know, and, and people are going to get tired on the podcast because I probably said it six times this week. Uh, Kevin Foote has a theory. If you want to win in the next game, fire your manager or fire your coach, you know. And, you know, if it's baseball, you're going to wear off six, six wins if you fire your manager. But what happens with Georgia Southern now, in your opinion? I hear what Foote is saying, and I do believe in that in the sense that it creates urgency. And sometimes whenever you're kind of going through the same motions with the same coaching staff and you're getting the same results, you can get a little bit lackadaisical. And like I said, I'm, I don't want to sound too redundant, yeah. but it's like you're going through the motions. And all of a sudden, you fire your head coach. And, you know, that all, all of a sudden that light bulb goes in your head. And I, I, I do kind of believe in that. I do. Now, thankfully, I never got had to experience that um, uh, with uh, Ricky Bustle. But I will say this. Um, we felt it a little bit in the offseason going from 2005 to 2006 when we fired our defensive coordinator. Oh, no, it was from 06 to 07 when we fired our offensive and defensive coordinator and Brent Pry and Mario Cristobal and other coaches along. And we, we kind of felt that just that urgency in the offseason and we took it to a new level. Um, so I, I, I can understand that mantra. I, I get it. Um, I would I would not be surprised if, if Georgia Southern comes out a little bit more spirited this football game this Saturday. Uh, it's unfortunate what happened to Coach Lunsford, and um, you know I wish him nothing but the best. But I, I, I can see that happening. I, I, I do believe in that. Well, good deal. Uh, I tell you, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening. To we're talking with Craig Malasa and Chris Lano, and we'll be right back after this quick break. And we're going to talk Cajun football at South Alabama. If I can find the stop button, here we go. Welcome back to we're talking Craig Malasa and Chris Lano tonight, talking Cajun football. Well, hell, talking JFK, talking Alcatraz, there's many things. You know, you briefly mentioned Alcatraz there. And I got to tell you, when I was out there, there was a guy that was in there for jail. And obviously, he wasn't in there anymore, but he was doing his book tour and everything. I found the whole thing very fascinating. I worked out in the Bay Area for about about four months. So, but uh, very cool. And, you know, one thing, Jay, about Alcatraz, one of the biggest mysteries out there is did the three escapees did they survive and you know, I, to me i i don't think they could have survived i think the um i i think the way i think it was just too rapid um it was just too destructive the, the kind of conditions that they would have to uh, swim through 
And um, I, 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 I don't see that happening. I think eventually they would have been caught if they had. But then again, they've never been swept up or been retrieved from that point. So it's just something, you know, when you visit Alcatraz or you think about it, it kind of does linger in your mind. You know, whatever did happen? Did, did those guys ever did make it out there? Here's what I think happened. That are a possibility is the only way that they get off of it. They were able to get the raft and, and to move the raft around behind the boat that was about to leave Alcatraz later on that evening. And they were pulled uh, towards San Francisco, let go, and there was a boat out there that picked them up. I think they had a connection, if that's what happened. Uh, there's a recent program, it's either on the National Geographic or, or Nat, Geo, uh, Nat Geo or Discovery. I'll have to send you that link. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting. So that's not why we're here tonight, but I love it. I love it. I love history. So, all right. Cajuns, the Jaguars, what are you, what are you seeing? To me, this game scares the living bejesus out of me because we're missing so many pieces to the park on our offensive line. And, uh, you know, what's going on? Talk to me here, Chris. Well, we're missing so many pieces. Really. We're just missing one piece. Um, you know, you got Carlos Rubio who's down, and I know that's going to have to move Ken Marks from his left tackle position back on the inside guard. Um, or is it the op- or, or is it uh, the opposite? He was playing left guard, and, you're, and we're going to now have to move him to left tackle, I believe. Uh, just looking at the depth chart, from my understanding. But, anyways, it, it does it does create a little bit of musical chairs um, along the left side, um, but. You know, I, I think depth in that area has been has been pretty stout. It's been okay. You know, we went against a very formidable Texas front, you know, which I don't think we're going to play another front better than Texas than we did in week one. I know we had our miscues against Nichols. Uh, Ohio, we seem to kind of get back on track in, Ohio, in Georgia Southern. Well, then again, like what Jay Walker has mentioned on the show, I've listened to it the other day. You know, it, it's hard to win out there, you know, and the Cajuns are the only team that, to in the FBS, I believe, to go undefeated, having played there three times or more in that stadium. It's, it's just a difficult place to play. And, you know, you got to take it to account. It was the first conference game. So, you know, there's an extra pep in, in, in their steps for both teams. So that, that that's a challenge of itself, really. So yeah. and, and you and I and go ahead. I just, I think there was a lot of talk beforehand with Lunsford. You know, if they got blown out, there was talk around town that Lunsford would be fired. So I think, the, I think the players stepped up for him too. I can see that happening. I, I can. And, you know, watching that game from television, I must say, from uh, not necessarily being uh, within the booth, I, I, to me, there's also, there's always a different anxiety level to it. And I never felt throughout that entire game that Georgia Southern was going to win. I, I just, no. I just, that never crossed my mind. I just never, I never felt that even when green would, would, would hit those big runs would break away against the Louisiana secondary still, even just being able to overcome that. I, I didn't, I never thought that we were going to walk out of there with the loss in our hands. Now going forward to the South Alabama game. And I know, for those who are listening, we are recording this uh, on, on a Wednesday night, late on a Wednesday night. So you and I, we talked about it just kind of, you know, just one-on-one, just a little personal text messages going back and forth uh, earlier in the day. 
And we both agree the optics of this game, none of us are really attracted to. You know, one, South Alabama is coming off a bye week, essentially. And, you know, they have 14 days to prepare for Louisiana. Number two, um, uh, number two, uh, it's a road, it's a road game, but in the fact that it was, it's close enough to drive, but too far, but, uh, but close enough to drive, you know, it, but too close to fly. So yeah. in other words, we're, we're having to drive. It's a bus trip and bus trips are always tricky. It's just it, mentally how it, how it kind of drains on you. You know, it's just, it's just a different kind of motion that these players are not necessarily used to. And I don't, I don't think anybody understands the size of football players being on a bus and having to drive for two or three hours. You know, I, I just think it's a whole different, even the drive. Like when we, when we go to, when we fly into Memphis and we have to our uh, Jonesboro, that's a whole different thing there too, because we don't fly into Jonesboro. That whole bus ride is different for the team. Right. Right. And, you know, the longest drive that I made as a player, I want to say it goes back in 2008. We drove to Denton for North Texas. Can you can you imagine that? No. But I remember we took our entire budget for that weekend and we dumped it into our hotel stay and we stayed at a beautiful five star hotel. (laughs) (laughs) It was beautiful. I tell you, we were we were living like kings. But I tell you what, we had to pay for it. Cool, we had to pay for it. And, you know, we won that game. And matter, matter of fact, that was the game. If you can remember, Jason Cherry had the four or five touchdowns in the first half at almost at every position as a wide receiver, as a running back, as a kick returner, as a punt returner. You remember that historic yeah. game that, that, uh, that he had. So anyways, but the third part about this, I was going to say is you're going into a South Alabama, going against a South Alabama squad who's kind of feeling themselves. They're three yeah. and oh. And whether or not you think it's smoke and mirrors by looking at their schedule and just looking at their outcomes and just studying a little bit of what they have shown on film, 3-0 and is still 3-0. and it, 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 The end result is all that matters. You have, and, you're 3-0. and You've got a new coach that's telling you, you that coach. you can believe and right. telling you that you can win and do this thing. Very similar when the HUD came in here in 2011 or so. He got you believing you could win, and you thought – and you were in every game. It, right. it's and it's one thing mentally to actually think you can win but it's a different animal when you when you have one and you've shown that you can win and and just you know for a fact that you can win when you have that resume you've built that pedigree up to that point so my point um you know you take all that into effect and i, I spent the afternoon and the evening just really thinking about it and the last time I can say I maybe have kind of felt this way against more of an inferior foe where I got nervous lining up against, and you're going to laugh at this, but you got to go back to 2019 against Troy. And if you can remember at home, what had happened, that was an absolute shellacking. Yeah. Just, just a total oh. shellacking. Maybe one of the more lopsided victory, maybe the most lopsided victory in Billy Napier's era. You could probably count Coastal Carolina in 2019 as well. Um, that was another big one um, on the road against Coastal. On a, I believe it was on a Thursday night game, but well, the, the 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 game against well, no, is Troy in the East or the West? They're in the East. Troy's in the East. They're South in the East. Okay, because and I've mentioned this three or four times over the course of the week. 
but Billy Napier puts different emphasis on on a game against the West group. He is undefeated against West foes since he's been here. And he counts these games as double. Yep. He does. It, the, what, now, what, I'm ultimate, what I'm ultimately leading to, I, I think it's going to be one of those games where the six-year seniors, the four-year starters, it really comes into effect. And I think when it's all said and done, and the thing I like about this podcast is, you know, we're just talking and we're, we're free and we're open to speak our minds. You know, we're not getting yep. paid. You know, this is just you and I. This is the kind of stuff. That, these are the kind of things that you and I will be talking about at a bar with a drink in our hands just exactly. with nobody listening. And that's and, why and I called it we're this, talking because I don't Exactly. Want- so when it's all said and done, you know, I am more at this belief, even regardless of what I thought earlier in the day, that after the game, when the game is all said and done, it's going to be one of those matchups where we're going to think back and we're going to call it the hold my beer game where South Alabama kind of feeling up, kind of feeling themselves up a little bit, but they're just not ready yet. They're not ready. And I think it's going to be one of those come back to Jesus type moments for okay. South Alabama. I, I, I really believe that. I think it's kind of setting that up where everybody's getting worried. The team, you know, it, it, I, I will say this, everybody can read in between, can read between the tea leaves and social media. You cannot, uh, you cannot shy away from it. And uh, everybody's um, tuned in to social media. You, you hear and you see everything that's going around the league. And I think, you know, the little comment that the defensive line player made, you know, sometimes you know, when players, I go back to my playing days, you're trying to find things and create things to give you that extra little, uh, you know, that little, that extra little pep in your step. But it's a completely different animal when somebody else from the other side just creates one for you. And I think, you know, things like that, when you say that you're not really necessarily worried about the running game, it doesn't matter what truly what he was thinking. It's the concrete words, you know, the meaning behind what they believe, what Louisiana believes, that's what's going to take into effect. And that's really all you need. Because when you're a player, it's one thing you hear something to motivate you, but it's a completely different aspect where you hear something that motivates you and at the same time you know physically you're just a better player than them and I think this Louisiana team there's no doubt in my mind they're more talented across the board they've got much more playing experience when you look at the overall experience factor against the South Alabama team you know they they got some experienced guys on defense but they virtually have nobody really returning uh, that's experienced on the offensive side of the football and that's why I think they've been struggling so the experience factor, I think just overall, um, I think the overall talent level, I think it's going to really come into fruition. And I, 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 I'm not going to call it a shellacking because we have not earned that uh, right to even. No, we haven't. We have it. We have it. But I, I can, I will not, I will not be surprised by the end of the day if you have one of those little Troy-like or Coastal Carolina-like 2019 moments where the cages, they just come out and they just say, hold my beer. And they just come out and just play their asses off. And I, I, I you know, I'm more inclined to see that happening. To, to, I really believe, you know, this could be one of those moments for this Billy Napier team that we're going to look back on that, you know, we had it wrong. We were worried about it. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's a good football team. There's no doubt about it. South Alabama, they, they, they're 3-0. and 
I think they're on the rise. They're playing in a brand new stadium. I know, I know they had the stadium last year, but it was a COVID year. Yep. Now, there's no restrictions coming into this season. So I like to think this is their first year to really get their feel with their fans and their, their student section, their student body. But again, I, I just, I think that the talent level and the experience factor is really going to come into play this Saturday. Well, let me ask you this. All right. So before the Ohio game, I, I was very reluctant to say Amani Bailey was going to have a good game. And I think he's going to be essential. And I texted you during the game and saying, I wanted to tell you that. And you're like, well, yeah, whatever, dude, you didn't, you didn't say it. So it doesn't count. So then the next week, uh, you know, we're, we're at Georgia Southern and, and Imani Bailey picks up the ball that hits off of Levi's chest or helmet or whatever and goes for 35 yards. Do you see a scenario here? Because I really think that everybody's focusing on uh, uh, Johnson. Is it Johnson? Yes. Uh, Montreal Johnson. Johnson. I want to say Mojo. Uh, and, and for those Doors fans, Mr. Mojo Rising, if you want to go there. Um, but is this a game that you can see someone out of, outside of uh, uh, Montreal Johnson, um, an Amani Bailey, and even for that matter, because we all think of Chris Smith is already there, but he hasn't had that season yet. Can you see that? Either one of those backs busting out here. Well, you know, we've really done a nice job of just a, a, more of a balancing act between these three backs. And I don't think we've really used, besides Montreal Johnson on fourth down situations, we really haven't used these backs situationally. Yeah. You know, it, it's been more of, you know, you got your touches. Okay, now rotate in. This guy's got this series. Okay, now rotate in. This guy's got this series. It really wasn't the the, the one-two punch bruisers between Regis and Mitchell that we're used to with Raymond Kale coming in yeah. on third down situations or coming a lot of times Raymond Kale would come in when we're on the hash mark and we, we try to play a numbers game on the wide side of the field where we're just trying to get Raymond Kale just to outrun the entire defense. When 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 we stack up the uh, when you stack up the boundary with boundaries with wide receivers and you just you try to play a numbers game and you just try to have them run along the edge and beat the safety along the outside which we did a couple of times with Ray McCauley, um, so so it, it's all about X's and O's. I really haven't seen that how we I'm still trying to figure out exactly how Billy wants to utilize these three guys, but. I am with you. Um, I will say before the year, and Cody and I, we talked about it. I thought Imani Banley by year's end was going to be the one to get the bulk of the carry, carries. And just the way he ran last week against Georgia Southern, yep. I'd like to see more of him. I really do. I, I think, you know, he's got a nice um, – he's got a nice center gravity in terms of his height, the way, you know, runs with power. Um he's a little bit bigger than Chris Smith, but a little bit smaller than Montreal Johnson. But I, I like that size that where we can utilize them inside and outside. It's almost like the defense doesn't know what's coming with him. You know, he's an all purpose type guy. He's an, he's an every down player. So, I mean, I, I know every week we get the depth chart and it's, it's never going to change. You're going to see Chris Smith, Monty yeah. Bailey and Montreal Johnson, but you know, I, I just think that's well, a bunch of hogwash. I just think we do that just because, you know, we can do that. We don't need to change it. But really, I, I think, you know, you're looking at it from just a running back standpoint right now, just from what I've seen, you got to put Montreal Johnson, number one. You almost got to flip the depth chart 
it's really yeah. Montreal Johnson, number one. I like Amani Bailey, number two, and Chris Smith, that situational guy. And plus, really, I think ideally Billy wants that because he would rather use a guy like Chris Smith in special teams opportunities. Um, so, you know, it's just that that's the way I see it. And uh, it really hasn't come into fruition at this point. But I'm with you. You know, at some point, you know, sooner than later, you're going to see a big breakout game from Amani Bailey. Oh, I, I just think Montreal Johnson's the Trey Regis. Amani Bailey is is the uh, Elijah Mitchell, and and Chris Smith is the uh, is uh, Raymond Colley. You know. Yeah, and, and, and you know Johnson. We talked about it, I believe, last week or two weeks ago when I did this with you. Yep. If, I'm not sure if I alluded to it or not, but La- Montreal is ahead at this point in his true freshman season than Regis and Mitchell were at true freshman running backs. There's no question about it. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, I would agree and, and totally agree with you there. So, well, Chris, thank you for your time. Well, before I say thank you, any, any last words of wisdom? And I know that's strange being asked you for words of wisdom, but uh, <laughs> uh, anything, any last things you want to talk about for the game before we uh, call it a night? Cause I know, as an old man, you're probably getting way past your bedtime. I know you got kids at home, and which I'm sure you're glad to be home every night now and with the kids. So, Well, I don't know about words of wisdom, but I will say this. I know JFK, when he, would, when he was going to run for a second term, I know we never made it to his second term, yeah. but there are documents out there that he was going to elect his brother to be his VP. And Lyndon Johnson, I think he saw that coming. You know, and Lyndon was somebody, he strived for power. He wanted power. And I think that's why I think it created a lot of conspiracies at the time that Lyndon Johnson was behind, which is totally ridiculous. And obviously it was all debunked. But when he was sworn in on that day, you know, he took it, um, you know, he really soaked in that moment because he he wanted power. Lyndon Johnson was somebody who strived for that and, uh, he knew it was coming that if, if JFK, if, if his president, uh, who we worked for, was going to win a second term, which I think was was no question about that. Um, well, you know, two things there why I, where, I, where I will disagree with he, you. He, he, felt, he felt he felt threatened by it. He well, did. I understand that. But but without Texas, JFK doesn't get elected without Chicago. And you have to be from two different states. So uh, Robert Kennedy would have had to register somewhere else just like uh, uh, Bush's VP Cheney. Uh, The Mm -hmm. second thing is though, but if you notice that Kennedy wanted to de-escalate the war in Vietnam, he was talking about pulling out troops, but Johnson's family owned a lot of the war machine so that when uh, afterwards the war was escalated again under Johnson. And I love how history is rewritten by our media. It seems to be, have become, Nixon's war, which Nixon's actually got us out of the war instead of into the war that Johnson and JFK. So, but that's a whole nother story. We can have a whole nother conversation on that. that. Whole nother conversation. So Chris, thank you very much. Appreciate your time tonight as always. Uh, I love talking to you, brother. Uh, stay safe. I didn't ask you, how's the family doing after the hurricane? What's oh, the good. city, and, and what's you know, the city we, doing there? We finally got word that the kids are going to go back to school next Wednesday or today. And that's good. I meant to ask you that at the beginning. I know you guys are going through a lot over there and I don't want to diminish that. So anybody, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, it's more than New Orleans, whether it's Lafourche Parish, Terrebonne Parish, St. Charles Parish, 
find out who you can give to find out there's lots of people in need down there please help them out uh chris i'm glad you and your family are back in your house glad you got electricity glad the kids are going back to school uh hopefully we'll see you soon here sometime here in lafayette so okay man we'll raise our glasses in mobile for you don't worry I appreciate that. So tonight, for we're talking, you're listening to Chris Lano with Craig Melanson. Chris will be the color voice of the Cajuns this weekend in South Alabama. Good luck, and as always, go Cajuns.